there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Unfortunate Cookies. At the end of your meal, no longer should you have to crack open a stale bite of sweetness to find a message of generic positivity. Instead, try Unfortunate Cookies, the devious and delectable treats that prey on your greatest fears and get strangely specific while doing so. Fall victim to bite-sized doses of reality like, it's not your baby, you should probably get tested, and hooray, you're going to federal prison. More than our recipe will leave a bad taste in your mouth. We're about as sweet as diabetes. Unfortunate Cookies. The cookie... It takes a bite out of you. Patent pending. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight. I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes sir. You know I got to get paid. High fly ball, back to right center, and the Braves have landed. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes sir. You know I got to get paid. Swing and drive, back to right. Welcome to the show. Twenty-five lighters for my twenty-five folks. Now get ready. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. What's up, people? Welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair All-Americans, the Grueling Truth Network, and our friends at TixBlitz. TixBlitz is the newest ticket website on the market. They have all the best deals, fantastic prices, and even better, they don't charge you a seat fee. They looked around at what everybody else was charging. Hey, seat geek. Oh, cool. Good prices, good seats. Oh, what's this extra ticket fee? Nah, that's dumb. So TixBlitz decided to do away with that. They are rising up through the ranks quickly. Baseball games, concerts, whatever really big tickets you need, TixBlitz has it. Just go to TixBlitz.com. And if you use our promo code armchair, they're going to give you 5% off at checkout, 5% off your ticket price. So if you've got four people that you're trying to get into a game, you can't beat the savings that you're going to get at TixBlitz. TixBlitz.com, they are the new revolution. Now, Doc, I don't want to be I don't want to be overly hyperbolic here, um, but in two weeks the world gets to start breathing again. Ooh, that's exciting. We got looking at, uh, yeah, we're looking at some real deal Braves baseball that counts like within the month, right? Some stuff that we can actually, like we don't have to have the disclaimer. These numbers don't count. Like that gets to go away. Now I'm so excited, man. It's been, it's been a, a trying off season, but it's amazing how quickly things can start to get remedied as soon as, as soon as baseball is on the horizon again, I, I found myself just staring lovingly at the schedule the other day and uh, just looking, you know, 
figuring out, ooh, do, am I going to go to this one? Am I, I going to go to that <laughs> right. one? So, you start um, pre-planning which games. I almost want to like wait a little bit to see how the season's going to go before I decide which games to go to. You know, it's kind of cheapening myself. Like, yeah, I don't know. Do I want to go see the Braves play the Yankees when I'm not sure how the Braves are going to end up doing this season? Or do I want to wait until I know that we're freaking awesome? The second home series of the year is against the Marlins. I think that's probably one you're going to want to check out. Uh, of course I would. I also want to see as many Braves Nationals games as possible. Well, based on what we saw the other day, um, you know, Nationals are still very stacked. Spring training stats, as you just alluded to, um, you know they they don't count. But uh, man, they look good. And if Adam Eaton, if Adam Eaton is worth anything this year, because I know that he's he's really struggled for the past couple of years with injuries. But man, that could be a huge uh, reinjection of talent into their lineup. Mostly because I just want to see this Acuna versus Soto thing up close and personal for as many times as possible. They, it's it's got that feel to it, doesn't it? Like you, like bird and magic, and uh, I'm and trying to think of somebody else in baseball. I'm trying to think of anybody else in baseball in the same divisions who have had that level of super talent. I'm it sure the Yankees and Red Sox really friendly rivalry. Yeah, like, I'm sure the Yan- well, I would say the Yankees and Red Sox, but they all hate each other. It's so, like it's kind of, it's not the same as it's similar, I guess, to the Nomar and Jeter thing, but those two hated each other. So yeah, I'm I'm really trying to think of of like a, a tandem that you all no matter what you always wind up looking forward to, to seeing the two of them square off. I guess I guess there really kind of hasn't been one for baseball. There's a, there's a, not in a while. So. Not that isn't pitcher and batter. Like you know, oh, we get to see Scherzer face Mike Trout today, or Scherzer go up against Bryce Harper. You don't really get that same thing in the division. But I guess you could. You know, it, it's different when it's Acuna and Soto. Soto, a teenager last year, Acuna barely older, and putting up seasons like they did. You get to look at them and just realize that, holy crap, we get this for at least the next six years. And, and Acuna is just so happy-go-lucky and so joyous, and he and Soto just appear to get along so well. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if there wound up being a couple of different guys that Acuna's got that relationship with, not just on the team. I mean, he and uh, Ozzy are obviously uh, really good friends, and and he and uh, he and Pache are uh, are really good friends as well. But I think that as far as like the the friendly rivalry thing, having somebody like Acuna is great for that. Like he's he's as good of a player to be as representative of the game as as you could have out there. Because because Trout, I mean, obviously incredibly incredibly talented, but he he seems very. Uh, reserved, very introverted, and then you have Bryce Harper, who has kind of embraced that face of baseball role. That you know he's he's doing the commercials and and everything, even if it is for T-Mobile and and for hair product or whatever. But he's he's kind of got that villain thing about him. So I don't see anybody really just going out of their way to hate Ronald Acuna. You know he's so he's so fun. So and having that with Soto together, the two of them facing off 19 times a year going to be great for the game i don't know if mike trout is reserved or if he's more just like you and me we're like literally all he cares about is sports it's like if you go into his twitter page it's just it's just a bunch of fly eagles fly stuff which makes me nervous about him going to philly but like he seems like a normal sports fanatic type of type of guy like he's not he's, he seems like a guy who's not just playing baseball because it play, pays him a lot of money because he just you know that's what he likes to do so every everything that he posts is all about whatever sports team he's cheering for sixers and eagles and you know, stuff like that. So that's a fun thing to see. I think the other difference is just we don't get it, – it's so rare to see offensive talent 
that young and that good. And we're in kind of a boom of it in this area where it's not just Ronald Acuna and, and Juan Soto. And I'm not going to include Ozzy because I don't think he's on the same tier as those two, which tells you everything you need to know. But you talk about uh, you go a little bit out west, and it was Trevor Story who put up like seven homers in his first five games, which was unbelievable. Uh, Corey Seager, Francisco Lindor, who might end up being the like he might be the best all-around shortstop that we've seen in a long time in baseball. Um, I mean, there's just a number of these guys out there today that are all under 25 that are just like otherworldly type good. And it's great to see. We talked about Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, who's a little bit older, but that type of player who broke in young and instantly took the game by storm. Like, it used to be that a player would a, a player that was a really really good player or whatever who we all thought was going to be an amazing player like even Chipper took a couple years before he was Chipper like he was you know he was closer to twenty five before people started to realize this is Hall of Fame type good he wasn't twenty years old I think Andrew was the last player really that the Braves could point at and you could say that for Call had his moments when he was young but Andrew's kind of that one that you point at as a as a you know, teenager, and you go, all right, that guy's just different. And the Braves have at least one with Ronald Acuna, who's showing it in spring training because he's nine for his last nine. Uh, Christian Pache is hitting almost as well as Acuna, so there's another one that you're looking at there. Uh, Ozzy Albies is, what, 22, I think? 21, 22. Yeah. They're, they're, 22. It's just a plethora of these guys. And some might say it's an embarrassment of riches. This is the part that I think is actually the best for the game. When you've got all of these young kids that are playing this well, that's a lot more relatable to a person, to a kid that's, you know, 12 or 13 years old as opposed to a guy that's 32. It used to be that when you had guys like A-Rod, when he, when he first broke in at 19, Ken Griffey Jr., those guys were the unicorns, you know, getting, getting a lot of meaningful production out of a guy who was late teens or early 20s. Or, but now it seems like if you get some guy who's like 38 and has a good season, he's suddenly the unicorn. You know, it's it's amazing how how that suddenly flips. But you bring up a, a really good point about the accessibility of those guys and, you know, being being 12, 13 years old and looking at MLB players and say, like, who, you know, do you want to be like um, do you want to be like Jason Grilly or do you, you want to be like Ronald, Ronald Acuna? I mean, so, it, yeah, it's a good I, thing. I, I, I'm going to be really interested to see just how many jerseys Ronald Acuna sells this year. I'm not going to be shocked if he's in the top ten, which is going to be phenomenal because as much as everybody loves Freddie Freeman, I don't think Freddie Freeman has that type of drawing power. No, and and he – Freddie, even for as talented as he is, he still, I think, functions best as the as a – not a role player. Complimentary piece. The number two, essentially. The Robin. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he he doesn't need to be the star. He God bless him for sticking around through the rebuild like he did and being the face of the team. But I think that you started to see last year when uh, when Acuna and Ozzy and like all of the young guys became like they're the focus now. It's it's baby Braves V two point and Freeman suddenly like oh thank God they were you know I'm just still going to get interviewed, but he's not going to be the only guy getting interviewed. Like nobody was coming into. Um, into the clubhouse to interview Sugar Ray Marimon after after games. Or Great anything. name, so, Great name, by the way. Yeah, he that was uh, he he got. I, I wonder if his his born first name is actually Sugar. I I, I, I doubt, doubt that, that very much. I bet that was a nickname his dad gave him when he was young. But you you bring up a good point about Freddie. Freddie is a lot like Joey Votto, and I've said this a number of times. 
more in the realm of they're just amazingly consistent. Like everybody always talks about them being perennial MVP candidates. That's a nice way of saying that they're great players, but they're they don't pop like some of the other guys. Like when you watch the two play and you see what Freddie did last year, and what Freddie does every year, which is hit around anywhere from two eighty five to about three hundred, hit you anywhere from twenty five to twenty eight homers, driving one hundred and ten to or driving eighty nine to one hundred and ten type of RBI. That's Freddie Freeman. And it's every single year, and those are great numbers. But then you got guys like Acuna, who when they come up, it's just different. You know, they can hit. Acuna is a guy that if, if everything breaks right, and you don't even, really you don't even have to say if it breaks right. I'm just saying that because to couch what I'm about to say, he's a guy that you really believe could hit 325, hit 40 home runs, steal 30 bases. Like it's just a different type of player. Like that's a guy that you look at and say he's going to win an MVP. And Freddie's a guy that you look at and say if everything went right, he could win one. So it's a little bit of a difference there, and it's not to disparage Freddie at all. I think Freddie is the ultimate complementary piece of a guy who's a great player, just not quite that dynamic like Ronald Acuna is. And, and baseball, there's been a lot made of how much the sport has struggled to market its stars, and I, a lot of that does have to do with you need the perfect storm of, of likability and talent and everything, and some of it does have to do with, with being – kind of handsome or being kind of attractive, you know, which is, which is why Dansby was kind of exalted as being the guy. A hundred percent. Why let's not split any hairs. He was a good looking fellow from Marietta. That's why he was playing short and Ozzy's playing second. But when he was made the head of these, these marketing efforts and everything, this was before he had two straight seasons of struggling. Right. So you could still kind of dream on him a little bit. That was a lot to put on him. But Freddie Freeman, as talented as he is, he looks like buzz from home alone. That's not the, (laughs) that's not the, not the type of guy the only like you don't want to put that face up on a billboard without the helmet on it you know what i mean so love freddie love his production love hey, everything about the guy you know what i've said the better looking a dude usually the less i like him as a baseball player noted exceptions being max freed and johan camargo well of course yeah but you know if you have an entire sport of lenny dykstra's then then that's just bad news for everybody including lenny dykstra (laughs) that's true that's very true uh because even mike trout i don't know i know some women think he's classic that he's handsome but uh i don't think of him the same way as i would some of these others harper not a great looking dude face wise he's got great hair um he does have great hair manny machado looks like shrek with cornrows, he he looks straight up like an ogre. So, you know, <laughs> Chris Sale, he like Chris Sale looks like he just bit into a super sour lemon all the time. He's got kind of a pinched rat face. Mm-hmm. You know, there, I think that there really is something to this. Um, but moving on from just Acuna and his his exploits, who I can't wait to I can't I really can't wait to see the numbers that he puts up this year. Mybookie.ag, uh, as you guys may very well know, promo code Braves twenty five. Um, they actually have his home run line. Do you remember when I did the over-unders and I set his line at 30 and a half? I do. That's actually the line that it is on my bookie. Huh. Odd that that's how it worked, but it seems to be a pretty popular number there. Uh, I think he's, he's going to blow through that. I think 38 is a number. I'm, I'm super excited about him. But the, there are actually battles. When we say spring training numbers don't really matter, that's more of a generic statement as opposed to an individual, because there are some spring training numbers that are very much important. No more so than this battle for the fifth starter rotation, where Kyle Wright has just been phenomenal this spring. Uh, Tuki Toussaint, aside from one bad outing, has been stellar. Max Fried has been great. 
And Bryce Wilson has been better than all of them. And I feel like nobody really talks about it. And I'm guilty of this too because somehow I always kind of like Bryce is this guy that you just kind of keep counting out. You just keep kind of pushing him to the side because he doesn't have anything that's better than the other guys. Like his fastball is not as explosive as Tukey's. Uh, his his curveball is not as explosive as Tukey's. Um, or is or it's not even the same fastball as like Newcomb throws or Freed throws or you know or Kyle Wright throws. His slider is not better than Kyle Wright's. His changeup is is good, but not special. But he just goes out there, man, and it's just – and it's been, what, almost two full years now of him doing this to where I, I got to keep wondering, and it's got to start with me, but when do you start kind of taking the blinders off of this guy and start really noticing him for what he is? You know, it's ever since – he gets looped into the back end of that 2016 draft. Everybody knows Anderson, Wentz, and Muller, and – then Wilson was just this guy who you could kind of dream on, right? He's he's the two sport guy. He was um, a fantastic football player, he was but he committed he to play some, linebacker at North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, and he's 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 wide through the shoulders, like he's he's built like like a football player who just happens to be able to throw ninety five. But uh, the the big thing on him was he's going to be a reliever long term. His delivery is not clean, and then everything you heard in the offseason was Bryce Wilson cleaned up his delivery, and he is he is legit now and then he showed up in rome in 2017 and basically recreated mike soroka's 2016 and everybody's like yeah but he's still probably a reliever long term which is not off the table but it's it just he completely jumped everybody's expectations and then last year he had an uh, era of 0.34 over his first first five starts in florida like we talked about Acuna starting in high A and then rocketing up to Gwinnett and just killing it that whole year. Well, Bryce Wilson, the following year, he started in high A and he wound up jumping to Mississippi and then to Gwinnett. And then he got the spot start in Atlanta and he, he was the first out of that 2016 draft class to make it. He was like, he struggled a little bit with a couple things um, af- outside of that first start he made against Pittsburgh. But he's 20 years old making his major league debut. And, and pitched net- great against that Pittsburgh team. That's not great. Let's not undersell that. He went five was it five innings, five strikeouts, and everything just popped. Like he was everything was working great that day. And now he's added a changeup where he's kind of sharpened that changeup up. And it's you know, it's it's still not like a plus pitch, but it's it's been phenomenal, especially against lefties. Uh it's that's the thing to me. If if you don't have some sort of slower of some sort of non breaking ball off speed then you're not really going to be good against opposite-handed hitters. Even if your changeup is just barely average, it's such an important pitch. It's one of the things that you harp on with with Sean Newcomb. It's what we harp on with Luis Gohara. It's one of those things that that, that is honestly the most important off-speed pitch in a, in a pitcher's arsenal because that's the one that's going to allow a lefty to face righties. That's, that's the pitch that makes you more than just a specialized player. And Bryce... He just seems to nose down and just bulldog his way through it. You don't hear a lot from him, and you don't really hear a lot about him. Like, I would still be shocked. I don't know that he's going to – I don't think he's the guy that they would pick to be that fifth starter. But if you're just looking at spring training numbers, Bryce Wilson's got to be – he's got to be the guy in the lead right now. And as it pertains to spring training numbers, the closer you get to the regular season, that's where it starts to mean stuff where, you know, you have 80 guys show up to camp and then – you start doing rounds of roster cuts for guys that you know aren't going to wind up making it. So he's he's not just doing this against um, 
guys that are going to wind up starting the year in, in high A or something like that. I mean, he, he is um, he's playing against first string regulars, and he just is going out and keeping the keeping the walks down, and he he's striking out a bunch of guys, and it's almost like and you can see this for all of the all of the different great pitching prospects. We've we've kind of mentioned this about Patrick Weigel about how he got he got passed by while he was uh, rehabbing from Tommy John. With Max Reed, I feel like he was perpetually overlooked all the time. I still think he, he is. Was, well, it, absolutely, and he he's still somehow, you know, he's been in the organization for four years, four and a half years, and he's still having to fight for this for this fifth rotation spot. So he just is always kind of brushed to the side as like, oh, and then you have Max Reed, and now it's oh, and then you have Bryce Wilson, like. He can stand up and just make the name for himself, Bryce can. Like, and I, I don't think that the way that, that everything's kind of architected, because you've got Tehran and Newcomb and Gossman and uh, Boldy if he can get healthy. And, and then as far as like filling out the last roles, you've got Freed, you've got Tukey, you've got Wright. So Bryce is like the, the eighth man in line to wind up getting those starts. But I think that this season he's going to see somewhat meaningful time in Atlanta. I was saying not that long ago, I could see a scenario where he would start in double A just because he's not like he doesn't have the seniority as some of the other guys. But he's come out this spring and he's just like really even for my eyes are already open for him and they're even opener. They're you know, he's uh it's been great. I mean, you it's a good point to bring him up against Max and that's you know, that's part of the thing. Like I've been fighting for Max Fried to get his what his due in the rotation this whole time. Makes you wish that you have kind of two spots to be open in this rotation. Because I you you do, you want I still want Freed to be a starter, and I still think that ultimately like Freed would run away with that role. I think he'd be better than Sean Newcomb in that role. Um, but these other guys, neither of those three have pitched themselves out of it. They've all been stellar. Bryce is just a guy that I'm going to have to make an actual commitment that I'm not going to undersell him anymore. I'm going to take that view of, oh, he's an eventual reliever off the table, and I'm just going to start considering him the way I do the other starting pitchers who I think remains a starter because I I, I keep doing this. It's really not fair to Bryce for me to keep doing that because he's done nothing but show that he can carry his velocity fairly deep. Uh, he's a six-inning guy. He can be seven innings, doesn't walk a lot of people, throws a ton of strikes, and those guys have a place in the starting rotation. So I, I'm excited to see what happens for him. But speaking of Gossman, you brought him up. Uh, this is two starts in a row where Gosman has just been obliterated. And it has, it, this one was particularly bad. And I don't know if they're going to say that he's sore or just, you know, hasn't worked, hasn't worked a ton this off season, you know, with some injuries in this spring or whatever. But, uh, are you worried at all about Gosman? Because nothing worked this last outing. You know, it's, it's been a month since spring training started, and he, he got a late start. And so you kind of have to look at it through the lens of, of he's where everybody else was two, three weeks ago. And that's kind of inconsequential when you realize that the season is only two weeks away. All right, I was about to say, but, like, we're at that time where some of these spring training numbers actually do start to matter now. Yeah, and, and he, yeah, no doubt, the, the game against Washington was, was ugly. And he, he was giving up home runs to Trey Turner and Juan Soto, and both of those guys are pretty freaking good. But it was three to nothing by the end of, uh, or three to one, I guess, by the, by the end of that inning. So um, I'm not so I'm not so much scared of it. But I will say this: I am glad at the fact that uh, Tukey and Wright and Bryce have looked as good as they have. Because if something is lingering with with Gossman to where he's got a uh, maybe, by, sorry to interrupt, but maybe it's not even if it's lingering. Like 
we got this weird idea of Gosman from his first couple of starts coming over where he was really, really good. I think that that might have colored Braves fans' like perspective of Kevin Gosman, of a guy who's you know supposed to be like a top-tier type of guy. He's really never been that in his career. And then he, he, his performance at the end of last season was not strong either. So, like, this whole thing of just, like, Sharp being Kevin Gosman into the rotation, I don't know that I really buy that either. I think – I think I literally think every person in this rotation, except for Fulty, has to watch their back. And uh, I will kind of agree with you, but I, I think that for um, – I think that – who he was when he first came over was exactly what the front office was expecting him to be. Yeah, those two um, starts. No, and and I'm and I'm not saying that that I am that I fully drank the Kool Aid, but he did look really good in those starts. Even if of a lot of it was uh, pitching to contact, it wasn't striking out a ton of guys when he got here. I mean, that's that's kind of not really his game. But when they they talked about during the acquisition about how they wanted him to kind of um, tweak his sequencing a little bit and just kind of work on a couple different things. Um, I do think that he can be better than he showed he was at the second half of last year, and he's obviously better than than he has pitched um, for the for the first two starts. But things being what they are, th- this is why you wind up having a ton of pitching. So you don't have to run out. I already named Rob Sugar Ray Maramon, so I'll just go with Fausto Carmona or Roberto Hernandez as being somebody. You don't have to lean on those guys uh, to come up. You can you can feel good about the fact that you you've got Bryce Wilson coming up from Gwinnett to to make this start or or Tukey or Wright who's already going to be there or Max Freed and that that's on top of Tehran and Newcomb for the first week you're not going to need uh, a fifth starter I don't think you need a fifth starter until April 7th I think the day is so there's still a little bit of time built in there but that's just for the early part of the season if you're looking at any extended period of time without Fulty who still hasn't made a start and we haven't gotten an update in a while and Gossman is behind it's like Things almost kind of looked bleak with them in it. So take them out of it, man. Holy cow. Then let's get on the roller coaster because we're going heavy, heavy on the prospects. When Julio Tehran is your oldest starter, I mean, the dude's only 27. You know, when he's like the elder statesman, ugh, man. Let's just say this is like the most suboptimal thing to happen, especially with all of what happened in the offseason for the Atlanta front office, you know, that we don't really need to rehash. But this idea of them, uh, of everybody getting hurt and not being ready to start the season is not something they need. I still think, I'm not going to be so, I don't think that uh, Gosman's a guy that's like, you can't replace during the season if he's just not pitching well. I mean, it's not like you gave much up. It's not like, it's not like you traded away an A-plus prospect, so you have to stick with him until he turns it around. You essentially traded some guys that you didn't think you had room for here or that weren't special enough to even break your top 20, I'll say. So, I mean, I'm not I'm not married to that. If they love Kyle Wright the way that Alex has, has gushed about him so far, and Alex is a guy that usually is pretty temperate with what he says, absolutely gushes over Kyle Wright. I don't think it's crazy to say that Kyle Wright is a college groomed guy who's got that same who's got a different level of poise from some of these young players. Uh, I don't think it's it's a sh- I don't think it'd be a shocker to see Kyle Wright finish higher in the rotation than Kevin Gosman this year. But speaking of guys getting hammered, um, this one hurts to say. Chad Sabatka is getting absolutely blasted. Yeah, and his velocity. I know that there were con- conflicting reports about the the radar gun at the stadium. Like it was clocking both uh, Gossman and Patrick Corbin. They were like topping out at eighty seven <laughs> right? the other day. So um, and Max so Freed had Max Freed topping at like eighty six. 
Yeah, so I mean, so you got to take it with a grain of salt. But uh, Sabatka was topping out at ninety, so you know he was he touched a hundred last year multiple times. So um, if his velocity's down, like that's that's where a lot of uh, that that could just be a mechanical thing. We talked about him. He's a big big dude. He's six seven, six eight, long limbs. Moving, yeah, lo- yeah, a lot of moving parts in that delivery too. So he's got to be very meticulous about how he repeats it. So. Um, but yeah, he has really not been good, and he he was such a great story at the end of last year. And he started out so good; he started out great in spring training. And that's not to say that he can't get back to that, but he's he's got some some options in there, uh, and he could uh, maybe he has to go back to going at to start the season out uh, and just kind of clean up a couple things to where you know I I love minor league baseball, but you know, those, those stats aren't impacting the, the big league club. Right. So when I say that he can go to Gwinnett and work on things in games that quote unquote don't matter, then, uh, that I, that I hope that the, the intent comes through that statement. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's bad news if he's, if he's topping out in, in the mid nineties, cause that a lot of his effectiveness is, uh, is based on the fact that he can throw a hundred. Listen, I still love Chad Sabatka, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna oh, move away from my pre from my uh, previous sayings that I think that he's going to be a dominant back end of the bullpen piece. I still believe that of him. Um, you know, I still think that he could turn around fairly quickly. Um, he's more getting hit a lot harder than I expected to see him getting hit. I don't know. Maybe he's tipping something. I don't know what it is, but hopefully he can get himself right and get himself back up here because I do think that if the Braves want. I think Chad Sabatka is an important piece if the Braves bullpen wants to actually be a, a to be a weapon more than just kind of there. A guy like Sabatka who's got such insane strikeout potential is kind of a little bit different than some of the others in the bullpen. Some, a lot of those other guys, they have strikeout potential. Uh, you know, Minter can strike out a lot. Arodis can strike out a lot of people. Uh, that's kind of about it. I, I don't know about Biddle. I don't know if Biddle's a high strikeout guy or not. He, I think he can be, but I'm, I'm not sure if he's more more just a uh, little bit of getting people to hit weak stuff. But everybody else in that bullpen seems to be you know a little bit slower. Dan Winkler tops about 90-92, excels on weak contact because everything runs away from righties. Uh, Johnny Ventures with the turbo sinker. Johnny Venters can K the entire world, or you know, if somebody hits that little turbo sinker and it's it's just going to dribble out there. But for the most part, Sabatka is a different element. He's a big giant of a man that throws 100 miles an hour and has an outstanding curveball on top of it to break off. So I think that he's an integral part if you're talking about expectations for this bullpen to be better than they were a year ago. Yeah, he he's definitely the the flamethrower of of that bullpen. So I really don't want this to be another Mauricio Cabrera. No, and and I, I, I mean, I, I can't say definitively that he's not, but I, I see something a little more in Sabatia than I saw in Cabrera because he was, even when he was effective, he was completely erratic. You know, he he, I hate this term because I, it's never used in a positive light, but I'm going to use it anyway. Like he kind of succeeded in spite of himself. Like he he didn't really do himself any favors. Um, but he was he was getting results, and uh, when it comes to Sabatia, I think that he's got better stuff than than Cabrera did, does slash did. But uh, I don't know. He he was another one of those great stories that kind of rose up from from high A all the way to the to the bigs last year, and and maybe he just kind of made it on pure adrenaline. By the time he got there, he was uh, he was like a snowball. You know what I mean? He he already had had his momentum about him and. Just he's having trouble 
picking it back up this year. So, um, yeah, having a, having that guy that can that can touch a hundred and just blow you away, as opposed to needing finesse. Because like, if your slider's not on one day, your changeup is not working or something, then he's still got the ability to to blow triple digits by somebody. So, um, I'm not necessarily worried about him, but I will, I will be paying very close attention to him. I just need to turn back around. I love me some Chad Sabatka. Uh, another thing that was actually kind of cool. Uh, against the Nationals, we got to see the outfield alignment that you and I had been clamoring for this whole spring training. You got to see Austin Riley in left field and Johan Camargo play a little bit of right. Austin made a decent play on a ball, a nice little run and read there. Uh, Camargo did not look quite as good in the outfield. Um, but again, first time that he's ever played it, so shocker. Uh, are, do you think it's kind of a, a bad thing that it's taken this long to get either of those two in the outfield? Uh, not necessarily. Um, I, I think that, that neither of them are – because just in case it's happening in, in games – or excuse me, just because it's happening in games, they've, they've probably been experimenting with it. And and just because somebody's taking fly balls and trying to get comfortable with something, I mean, Riley, I think, is, is less likely to wind up moving out there. See, I'm going to go ahead and stop you. I'm going to majorly disagree. I think Riley is much more likely to play the outfield because I think that he is quicker than Johan Camargo. He's got the same. He, his bat profile's better for a corner bat as a guy with big time homer potential. Johan's got a good stick, but it's not like I don't see Johan ever hitting thirty home runs. Uh, I should also point out that uh, the Braves deked me because I went on air yesterday and they asked me whether whether Austin Riley was going to play outfield, and I was like, "Well, Snit says no, and I'm going to run with Snit." So the Braves are not going to put Austin Riley in the outfield. Literally an hour after I said that, lineups come out. Oh, hey, guess who's playing in the outfield? So. Well you know done, Walt, well that. done, Walt Weiss, you jerk. You wonder yeah. why I hate you. You see, and that maybe that's the thing. Maybe I mean we've talked about Snitker and, and trying to stick to the traditional roles. You know what I mean. And as soon as he's gone, Weiss is like, "Nope, you grab your outfield glove. You you grab the other outfield glove. Y'all go get on the corners." You know. And it's funny about Riley. He uh, he does move really well for a bigger dude. But the reason the why, work I, why I don't necessarily I don't necessarily think that he's going to wind up being as likely to be out there just because what he has gone from, like the work that he has done at third base, you can't throw that away. You know what I mean? But is he a better defender than Johan at third base? I don't think so. You know, I, I don't know. I really don't know. But just the strides that he's made, there's nothing the same that he's done making those strides. So I think no matter what, you know, Camargo is going to be on the big league club no matter what, and Riley is not going to, going to be up for a while so um i think that he can continue to to refine the little bits of his defense he's done a lot better about coming in on balls his uh yeah he's obviously got a cannon and and uh not to say that he couldn't wind up logging some some time in the outfield but uh camargo i just see being a little bit more of a natural athlete since he was the uh he was the middle infielder you know and he's pretty uh pretty agile um he was but then don't forget he added 30 pounds of muscle well, true, and Austin Riley's still bigger than he is, even yeah. if he does move a little more deftly with that muscle on him. So, it's, I don't it's, think either, it's either of them. See. It's interesting. I don't think that either of them are going to wind up being, um, you know, first uh, first wave Gold Glovers. You know, what I, I don't mean? think I, either of them stay in the outfield because then you're talking about unless you get rid of either Christian Pache or Drew Waters, and after the spring that Christian Pache is having, you're not getting rid of him. <laughs> I mean, Brian Snickers already said that he's starting a double A, but I mean, Pache's, got, Pache's the best hitter on the Braves so far this spring training, man. This is awesome. It's, 
I mean, you look at what Acuna's done. Acuna is nine for his last nine, which is kind of, I mean, that's a very Acuna thing to do. But uh, Pache has been neck and neck with him. I mean, they across the board, they're they're pretty much having the exact same spring. You know, like that's nuts. That's nuts. And Christian Pache, like he's he's a child playing. You know? He still got braces. Yeah, and and he's he's going out there and every time, like his first pitch against Washington, roped a double into left. And, and every time he comes up, he's he's doing something amazing. He's got. Most extra base hits of anybody on the team. His OPS is thirteen seventy-five. He's slugging over eight hundred. Yeah, I mean, and he's twenty years old. Twenty, you know, he's. It's just. Is he um, younger or amazing. older than Acuna? I think he's a little bit older, isn't he? I uh, think he's. If only there was some place where I could look that up. Give me a second, and I will. I will. I think I will he's a little bit older, that. but you've also got to see Pache make some great plays on the ball as well. Uh, in the field, you got to see him make that really good running, cra- uh, that really good grab in center field. Which, like we've said all along, that's a difference with him. If he's hitting, and this is a for real type of offense, now he's coming in later in the games, so he's not facing, uh, like he's not facing Max Scherzer when he's getting into the game. He's facing the other minor league dudes, but he is actually he's absolutely torching them, and it's very telling that he's coming off to this good of a start. This is a guy that it, it could not come for a better type of player. The amount of work that Pache puts in on his game and on his body is, is second to none. So I'm I am so stoked to see Pache, and I'm starting to wonder if we might not see him in September this year. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm kind of wondering the same thing. And and this once always with the caveat about spring training stats. But you're right; he is he is doing this against kind of his own level of production, like uh, fourth, fifth, sixth inning guys. Uh, in these spring training games, but he is absolutely dunking on them. For the record, uh, he is 11 months younger than Ronald Acuna. Okay. So he, okay. Yeah. Which, so, uh, could you imagine if we had two kids on the team who could not drink that were playing at, at that type of, of level? Now, I don't think Pache is the all-around – I don't think Pache is that type of offensive player that Acuna is. Like, I don't think Pache is ever going to sniff 30 home runs. Uh, but – just to watch what he can do all over the field. When you're watching him tracking a ball down over his shoulder in center field, and he's sprinting out for the the deep, deep spring training parks. It's just awesome. And he's he's kind of got the the comparisons with Acuna are there. Sometimes, like when you get into one for one comparing the game, they don't quite match. But like when you look at it, it's got that same level of enthusiasm and just that kind of. Goofy, like well, that's that Latin America thing. That's what makes a lot of Latin players so beloved because they, they've got a different, uh, it's a different view of the game, really. You know, over in the states now, it's starting to loosen up now. You know, Ken Griffey Jr. did not have a very tight view of the game; he was very loose about it. But for the most part, for a long time, you know, you're kind of taught, "Hey, act like you've been there before." That's my fa- my dad's favorite saying of all time why he hates football celebrations act like you've been there before you know he gets it from his dad and from watching his favorite players and uh you know just head down trot around the bases you don't really have that in latin america they're a lot more expressive emotionally especially they're a lot more uh they're a lot more they're a lot more passionate about everyday life it kind of bleeds over into baseball so that that's one of my favorite things about latin american players and it's not to say that you know American players can't do that, blah blah blah. I'm sure they're, the strings are definitely loosening. It's just a thing that every Latin American player seems to have that same type of that same type of expressionist attitude on the field. 
it's like everyday swagger, you know? And, and that's why, like, when guys like, God, do you remember when Yasiel Puig came over? And he, he's Cuban, so it's um, similar, but, but not quite the same. But it was like, who is this? Who does this guy think he is? Licking a bat? Yeah, like, what? Uh, this whole thing, everything about him, what is this? You know? And, and the more and more and more uh, Cuban players came over, I mean, obviously, the, there have been bajillions of, of players from uh, Dominican Republic and uh, Puerto Rico and, and all, all types of, it's just, it's a different, um, it is a bit different way of being as opposed to seeing, you know, guys like, why is Don Mattingly the first person that comes to mind? That's a completely <laughs> different era. Um, but you know what I mean? It's it's a little, uh, but you, you look at guys like Acuna and Pache and all these and having those guys all on the same team together, like people love fun, which is, could I make a more generic statement? But like, what, and when it pertains to baseball and people looking at guys like that, where you talked about about Acuna and and Soto earlier, and like they just these are the types of guys that you want your kids to look up to. Absolutely, you know, you want somebody who looks like they are having all of the fun in the world. Play. I mean, this is this is the best game that there is, and being able to have that much fun while doing it. I mean, that's like you want to instill that in people from a very, very young age. So it's infectious. And it's something that it's something that grows the game because when everybody notices how much fun you have doing it, then that kind of bleeds over and it it bleeds through the divide of whether, whether or not you can understand what they're saying. You can, you can understand a green, you can understand a guy that's having fun with it. Uh, So I, I totally agree. I love, I love that type of attitude. It's always a little bit different. Even like, I wouldn't even consider drew waters in that category. He's got the same type of swagger, but it's a totally different swagger where his is always, I'm going to show everybody. It's almost like a, I don't want to say an angry, but like an aloofness. It's just a different type of expression with, with those guys from the DR and, and from uh, Venezuela, Cuba. They're, they're, they're just a little bit different, uh, but that we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. By the way, when we come back, we're going to talk about some rule changes in major league baseball. that kind of shook the world today and give you our thoughts on them. So, Thank you guys so much. Stick with us to the break. We'll be right back here on the Platinum Sombrero. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by Bed Bath & Beyond Thunderdome, the everything store for all of your post-apocalyptic needs. Just because civilization has collapsed doesn't mean that your stylish sense of home decor has to. And remember, if you get 10 punches on your extinction loyalty card, you'll get priority seating on the next armored tank out of town. Our prices are so low, you'd never know that society is in the midst of a widespread catastrophic freefall. Shop Bed Bath & Beyond Thunderdome, where chaos enters and impeccable style leaves. Patent pending. Welcome back to the show, everybody. The Platinum Sombrero brought to you by our friends at MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the best place to go for any and all online gambling. If you'd like to have a little bit of fun in your life, if you'd like the games to mean just a little bit more, MyBookie.ag is the best place to go. They've already got all the great lines. We were talking about it last segment. They've got Acuna's home run line at 30 and a half. If you're positive he's going to hit more than that, go to MyBookie.ag, make yourself an account, throw a little money on it. If you use our, if you use our promo code Braves25, they're going to give you a 50% deposit match, so you can add a little bit more more money on that line. If you want to bet that Ender and CR take, it's more than 23 and a half steals. MyBookie.ag is the place to go. Go for it. MyBookie.ag. Win. Get paid. Have a great time doing it. 
All right, before the break, we told you that we were going to talk about the rule changes that came down in Major League Baseball today. Uh, Doc and I were talking about these before the show. Kind of been discussing them since it's kind of been announced. Uh, not really shocked that rules came down, but shocked at kind of which ones came down. Uh, so I, I guess I'm going to throw the floor to you, Josh. Or sorry, <laughs> uh, scratch that. I'm going to I'm going to give the floor to you, Doc, uh, and ask you kind of break down the rules for for the listeners for us, and then um, go ahead and give me your favorite of the rules. Thanks, Ken. Okay, so not all of these rules are going to wind up uh, going into effect for uh, 2019, but for the ones that that are, uh, they're cutting the mound visits from six to five, which uh, I have not seen a whole lot of time wind up getting shaved off with the institution of mound visits, so I'm kind of neutral on that one. Um, The single trade deadline, July 31st only, the home run derby winner, now gets $1 million for winning and a uh, new voting system for all-stars. And we'll, we'll jump into the 2020 ones after, after these, but of those, I love the idea of the single trade deadline. I think that the, the, the rules just seem really convoluted for the way that they would do it with the waiver trades. And Ken Rosenthal made a really good point about this. He said, if baseball was starting from scratch, they would never, ever, ever have a rule like that. You know, I think that, uh, it can kind of hamstring some teams who wind up getting injuries on like August 1st. And now they, they kind of have to either call up prospects or kind of make do with what they've got. But I think that that'll really change things. You, you see the, these deals like Josh Donaldson got traded in August last year. And when um, Justin Verlander the year before that, that that's like the, one of the really big ones where, where that everybody goes back to for why that's important, because it's a lot of big money guys that are getting traded because there's no, no team like the Marlins is going to swoop in and get Justin Verlander if it means uh, paying the rest of his contract. So I think that that particular day will become – it's already pretty frenzied as it is with the two different trade deadlines. So just having it looped into one, I think that will make that really interesting. But um, what about you? Is that one is that one your favorite too, or do you do you like one of the other ones? I mean, I like that rule. Um, I don't know when is it uh... – in the 2020 list, there's a lot more that I like there. But as far as the 2019 ones go, I'm a big fan of that single trade deadline. I'm not a big fan of the waiver of the waiver trading deadline. To me, it's just kind of cheap. Like, why would you call the one in July the trade deadline if it's not really the trade deadline? It's never really made sense to me. I've always right. thought I've always thought that you should push it to either to one of the dates. So I do like that one. And now it puts a lot more onus on on some of these GMs. So like. When everybody is talking about, oh, just wait till just wait till the trade deadline, and Alex is going to blow you away. Well, now he kind of has to because now there's no August to to push that farther too. That's my main thing is it stops pushing that buck down the road because now if you start saying somebody if you don't do enough in the off season, it's like, well, just wait till the trade deadline. We got flexibility. Then if you get to the trade deadline, well, we didn't see the deal we want. Just wait till August. Now you don't have that August to float to. If you think that a certain player is who's going to put you over the top, now you have to actually commit. You don't get to kind of waffle for an extra two months. I like it. Yeah, and I think I think that uh, that'll one kind month, of by the way. extra one. That'll. Month. I think that it'll really bump up the the amount of prospects that can wind up impacting um, pennant races. That's the I other think, side of it. I think that that's a great thing too. Sorry. Oh no, you're you're good. I mean, I think that you know because because let's say that the William Contreras is knocking on the door and then Tyler Flower, Flowers gets hurt, then instead of being able to just hold out and, and try and get like Eric Kratz or somebody 
from the Brewers uh, through a waiver deal, and you can say like, all right, whatever, we're just we're just going to roll with this. So you're going to see more contenders with robust farm systems being better equipped to handle this type of thing. And I think that that's something that's very important, especially when you consider the finer point of this of these rules that they're now going to be able to discuss the the labor issues before the CBA runs out. So hopefully that there isn't a strike. One of the main things that's going to be talked about is going to be the um, the money for the players, essentially the compensation where a lot of players are upset that they're not being able to really max out at 30 now, which that part is not as big a deal if they can start getting paid younger. So they're going to take a hard look at these arbitration years, uh, the service time manipulation and, and things of that nature. This is the first step in that direction towards getting away from that. And to me, as much as I want my team to have all the best players for the cheapest possible price, the player part of me understands just how horrible that is to be one of the best players, one of the, one of the most talented players in baseball, probably the most talented on your team, and you get sent back down for bullcrap reasons because they don't want to pay you because they want an extra year of your control. So you actually lose an entire year of earning potential because you're too good, which – that's, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense when you say it like that. Like You're too good to make your money quicker. If, you, if only you weren't quite as good, I would call you up now. Right? Like it, Doesn't that seem a little backwards? Absolutely. And we we talked last week about loopholes that, that can be exploited. Like Whether we agree with them or not, teams, you know, as long as the rule is in place and teams can find a way to work within the parameters of it, messed up or not, they're going to do it. Right. They know? have to. I mean, that's the playing field if it's there. Sure, but at the same time, it's not just affecting the prospects because Blake Snell won the Cy Young last year. Making five hundred sixty-five thousand dollars this year. Yeah, what is that? You know, that that just that doesn't that's not fair to him. He should be making more than he should be making a lot more than that. He obviously proved that he he is worth more than that, and he was pretty public about that. And if it was a team different than the Rays, you don't even know if it would necessarily be different because Edwin Diaz. Is uh, he just got his contract renewed for six hundred and seven thousand? I mean, it was one of the most. It didn't work any different for Chris Bryant. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a weird it's a weird double standard, and I am so glad that that is going to wind up being tackled because if the if the market's going to change, if they're not going to pay the old guys, older guys, they pay them then, when they're young. Yeah, exactly, and, and that'll kind of not necessarily soften the blow, but at least make it make it make sense because if. As it stands now, nobody's getting paid except for like the super super elite guys, and even even that it's it's just the, it's a weird way of being. So, and I, I actually agree with it that way. It doesn't make analytically it doesn't make sense to play, to pay a player a ton of money who's over thirty years old. But you know what does make a ton of money? To pay a player who's twenty five or under a lot of money. So that should tie into the new kind of swing of the market, the new flavor of the month, as we like to say, the new the new ideas of baseball that should support that. And I, I'm all in favor of that. Now, GMs aren't going to be happy with that rule because they want to they want to pay the least amount possible. So I think that you really are going to have to consider taking a luxury tax away to encourage people to actually spend money so you don't run into stuff like you did this season. Um there, there's a we, few other rules. We can get to 2020 in a second. I do want to touch on the home run derby thing because I think that that is a great incentive to get a lot of your favorite players to compete in those home run derbies because while a million dollars doesn't seem like a lot to a player that makes 15, that's still a million dollars. And if you're Ronald Cunha or Aaron Judge, 
or these guys that I've seen this idea floating around on Twitter. I would like it to be open to everybody. Mike Hessman. Mike Hessman's never going to play a major league at bat. Let him get in that home run derby. See how he stacks up just in BP fastballs. (laughs) No, that'd be great. I mean, I wonder if you would have to have like the, uh, like the celebrity home run derby, like, Spike Lee, Chaz Palminteri. I've already told uh, you, I want a pitcher home run derby. And I I would like to see that. I would like to see a minor leaguer be allowed in uh, for one simple reason, because that is going to encourage the major league players to perform even better because there's not one of those stars. that's going to want to get beat out by a minor leaguer. Especially really Vespucci. Good for marketing too. Like, I think it's really, really good for, for having, because because who all was wound up in the home run derby last year? You know, I mean, the it was a very thrilling finish, but it was there wasn't any point of it that was just like I like the format, but but there it just it needed more. You know, you want somebody like like Aaron Judge to be in there playing for something other than just the the trophy. You know, like he makes six hundred eighty five thousand dollars. Like if if he's going to be able to make more money, uh, he'll make more money winning a home run derby than he'll make for the season. Right, and so he's got some incentives to do it, and you know, Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge can probably hit hit a uh, home run about this is the exact same distance. The only difference is Giancarlo Stanton is making forty times a year more than Aaron Judge is doing to do the exact same thing. So, um, it's a good way to market the young stars. I think that um, with all of the different changes that they made, it's not like slam dunk contest. You know, it, it's not necessarily about style. So they they have to be very particular about how they market this specific type of thing. So, um, and in this case, getting ones that hit the really majestic home runs that Joey Gallo, that's another one. Joey Gallo is going to come out and he's going to hit 150 over the course of a year. I hate him so much. I hate him so much. (laughs) I saw you getting into it about, about that earlier this week, but I mean, I, as far as hitting home runs goes like all around player. No, thank you. Hitting home runs. All day long, because that's all literally all he can do. No, no doubt, no doubt about it. Which like, is exactly why this fits him. You know, we call it the Mendoza line. Funny thing, you realize Mario Mendoza had a higher career batting average than Joey Gallo. Uh, that kind of makes sense, actually. Yeah, Mar- the Mendoza line should actually be two fifteen. Mario Mendoza batted two fifteen, but everybody calls it for two hundred. So technically, Mario Mendoza is a better hitter than Joey Gallo. In the traditional sense, are you using batting average? Listen, when you're hitting 191, yeah, I'm going to use batting average a little bit. No, that's that's fair. That's fair. But if you're hitting 191 or 391, like, listen, the difference between average. a player hitting 280 and a player hitting 300, I'm not going to use batting average for that. But a guy where the where if you're hitting if one guy's hitting 260 and one guy's hitting 205, guess what? The guy that hits 260 is the better hitter. No doubt about it. No, I, I agree. Sorry, yeah, I just, sorry, I tangent. The Joey, you, you knew it was going to happen, and you did it to me anyway. I did. I did. I'm. I'm sorry. Whatever. We got to get to the 2020 rules, but I do like the new voting as well. It's kind of like the All Star Election Day. I think that's that can be really cool if baseball does it right, where the three highest vote getters are going to get a, a like a little ceremony, almost like a presidential thing, almost. Which I actually think that that's a really cool idea. That's something for baseball to get out front and market. Obviously, their three biggest stars, whoever gets the three most votes, which. Knowing most fandoms, I'm going to guess is going to be Mike Trout, Javier Baez, and probably Mookie Betts. That would be my first guess, although Aaron Judge could certainly get there too. 
is it three for the whole game or is it three per league? I don't know. I thought it was three per. I thought it was three for three total, but it could be three per league. I can see a scenario. I mean, because you saw it with with Cubs fans a couple years ago. You saw saw it with uh, Royals fans a couple years ago as well, when they basically voted the entire team in to be starters. But uh, Braves fans really showed out last year. Come come All Star time, so it would not surprise me at all if Acuna wound up being one of those guys. And for fan interaction. Um, I, th- I think a lot of this has to do with they're trying to uh, up the social media involvement for something like this, which if there's anything we in, in Braves, uh, Braves Twitter are passionate about, you know, like we we're going to show up, we're going to vote for our guys. You know what I mean? So um, there will be a lot of that for even for fan bases that are historically not as engaged. Who knows? Uh, Lewis Brinson of the Marlins might even <laughs> wind up getting a million votes next year. Every somehow. team has to have one. Well, if uh, if he winds up being one of the top vote getters, then then we're going to start uh, wondering whether or not Russia got involved or something like that. So, right. or if everybody uh, just felt bad. But 2020 is the year where the rules take a, a real turn, in my opinion, where you start getting some of these heavier rules and some of these, in my opinion, some of the better rules. The active rosters expand to 26 players. You're limited to 13 pitchers. Well, I think I think that's going to be a big change in and of itself. It's going to do away with the nine man pin for the most part. Which I'm kind of happy about. The injured. I, I, I like this one. I, I like that one too. I think that it's. Um, and 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 sorry, I know you're going to run through all of them, and we're going to start touching on them. But I I like not having to choose between having a four man bench and uh, and and have the deeper pen. But well, that also ties in because uh, the three batter minimum or end of an inning is coming in, which we're going to touch on. But that one, you're you guys might be a little surprised. Injured list up to 15 days for pitchers. Doesn't say anything about position players, but 15-day DL essentially for pitchers, which is going to be trying to cut down on some of that manipulation there. Uh, Options up to 15 days for pitchers, but no mention of position players. Kind of the same thing there. Uh, So instead of it being a 10-day option where you send them down, the Gwinnett shuttle essentially is what they're trying to get rid of. This one's interesting. The 40-man rosters in September are getting eliminated. I'm not sure about that one. And then limits on when position players can pitch. Has to be extra innings or your team has to be up or down by seven runs. So let's go ahead and start with that one because everybody loves watching a position player pitch. I don't feel like you were seeing position players throw unless you were already up or down a ton. Yeah, it seems it seems a, like a weird one to regulate. But I'm, when you start, I, I have very vivid memories of, of position players pitching. Culberson hitting 94. Lane Adams hitting one to freaking Pittsburgh off of Pedro Florimond last year. Jeff Francoeur showing up and actually, um, you know, when he wasn't getting... He getting pitched cool. multiple times. Yeah. Oh, he pitched yeah. like I mean, three was, times in the cool. same season. Love yeah, you, Jeff. By, by the end of his career, he wound up uh, he wound up uh, on the mound just as many times as he wound up in the field. So, um, But yeah, that, that does seem like a weird one to regulate. And there's, there's some certain stipulations in there where it's not going to be like, no, otherwise, they have to be established as a DH, so like it's not going to affect Shohei Otani, right? Or Brendan McKay, or or even uh, Matt Davidson, you know, who who has got really really good stuff for not not being a pitcher. So yeah, that one that one seems strange to to start putting parameters on. But okay, whatever. <laughs> Obviously, the big the biggest rule in my eyes is the three batter minimum, and. 
I don't know how you feel about this. We've talked about this before with uh, with Jason Woodell, friend of the program from Prospects Live. I'm a big fan of this of the three batter minimum. I understand that oh, some pitchers uh, it's it's it's. You know, a lot of the pitchers are whining that it takes out a lot of the strategy. Uh, pitchers are going to whine if you do anything that affects a pitcher. But tell them that a hitter has to has to stay in the batter's box. He's never allowed to step out of the batter's box. And they would tell you that it's great for the game. So I don't really take their opinion on it very much. Um, what I like about it is it's going to bring back some of the value for some of these relievers. and It should increase the rate at which you get guys like... Like when you think of the ultimate relievers, guys like... Um, uh, uh, what's his name? Andrew Miller are are paramount in people's minds because they go, they face more than three batters and they go multiple innings. This type of rule is going to cause more of that to happen. So a lot of these starters that don't necessarily win the starting job, now you're going to be more apt to keep some of your really good starters who might just not have great stamina. And instead of oh well whatever, then now they can you can essentially see more piggyback starts. I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Uh, they have to either that or they have to finish an inning. So it's doing away with the loogie and the specialist guys. I'm actually I'm actually a fan of that. Me too. I it, it just it kills the flow and the momentum of the game. Like the last two and a half innings of the game wind up taking as long as the first six and a half it's not really strategy if you're just going righty on left or righty righty lefty lefty like that's not really strategy it's just that's what you're told to do because like we know we know that we know right now that coaches are like married to doing that even if the numbers say otherwise like uh it took snit nearly an entire season to realize that jesse biddle should be used against more right-handers than lefties and guys with those types of reverse splits, you know, they are they are kind of rare. But I mean, having having a guy like how how much value do you really have for a guy who can only get out one side hitters? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's it's if you're in a division where you where you've got a, a team that's super stacked with lefties, you know, you can. I don't know. It just it. It seems like a, a waste of a roster spot. It seems like gratuitous commercials and too much room for advertising. By the way, that's one that didn't wind up getting listed on here is that they are shortening commercial breaks, which is which is a huge step. Next step to getting split screens. Yeah, and oh, that's that that is going to wind up happening too. But but once you start getting into the specialization, where it's like it does almost that's one step too far for me. Like I want a guy who can come in. And he's like, I don't care if you're lefty or righty. I don't care who you are. I'm gonna get you out. You know, if you got if you got a guy like Jerry Blevins, who his job is to come in and only get out a lefty or something, then like, well, the, I don't want to just wait for him to come in, throw his warm up pitches, get the one guy out, then bring in another guy. And it, like, I and this is one people are hated about this. People are so mad about this. But I like, I don't see how this is a bad thing. Kind no, of at all. I actually feel like I, this is one where I feel like like baseball coaches have jumped the shark by by doing this and having everybody only face that their their same side hitter. They've actually kind of how do I want to put it? They've they've kind of ended the growth of their own players because if you're only letting a guy face lefties, like if you're only letting a lefty face a lefty, then of course he isn't going to be as good against a righty because he's not seeing that person. You're kind of stunting the growth. Of, of a lot of these players. That's what I like to see. I don't, people will, people will whine and they will scream until they're blue in the face about how the DH is horrible for baseball. Yet tell them that a loogie, uh, that this is a good thing and they'll freak out on you. You suggest taking away 
uh, a one batter specialist type of pitcher. Changing the game, changing the game. I, I don't for the life of me get it. I'm happy about it. I think that this works out. Especially, honestly, I think it's going to work out pretty well for the Braves because this is a way that if you have too many starters, you can kind of put some of them in multi-inning roles in the bullpen, multiple guys, and you can kind of do that, and you won't, you'll still have the value there. Uh, I'm a big fan of relievers going out there and just getting it done. It might also convince some of the coaches to leave some of the starters in longer than six innings longer than that quote-unquote third time through the order and actually let some guys get some experience that way. The other ones, though, uh, I feel I feel are aimed personally at Alex Anthopoulos. The 15 days on the <laughs> option, like that's, that is 100% trying to take away the Gwinnett shuttle. 100%. Yeah, it's uh, it makes sense. Like, And once again, talking about loopholes that, that teams will continue to exploit as long, uh, until um, they get taken away. This is one that they that the league is kind of wised up on. I mean, the the injured list thing, it was 15 days, like not that long ago, you know. But right. for for pitch, right. pitchers, it was a 15 day DL like three years ago, right? So this one, uh, everything uh, old is new again, or some something along those lines. But it, it's only for the pitchers too, and I think that this is um, them kind of protecting their own, just because they're looking at it going, you know, if somebody's pumping gas and they wind up getting hurt and then they wind up rushing back or something or a team is trying to retroactively put somebody on the DL. It, it gives them a chance to actually heal as opposed to just, you know, it's like when some somebody's like, hey, I had Tommy John 11 months ago. I'm ready to go. Like, sit down. No, you're not. Same, same thing with this where it, it gives them time to adequately recover instead of just putting themselves in a position to immediately get hurt again. And you and I have talked about it before. Uh, I'm actually a big fan that they're doing this. I hate the Gwinnett shuttle. You and I talked about it last week, actually, about how you need to stop doing that with some of these young guys. Yes, it can work out, and yes, it's a loophole, that, you know, uh, fresh arms, but you do need to let some of these young guys grow, and this is a good rule for letting that happen where you're not going to be able to do that as often. These guys need to be able to make a mistake at the big league level and learn to overcome it. That's how you grow into being a great pitcher. Like, I'm not a big fan of babying a lot of the guys. I'm not a, that. That to me is how you stunt a guy's growth, and he never enters the ceiling that you thought he would have. You got to let him experience the highs and the lows in the big leagues. Where okay, uh, he got shelled this start. Now instead of being worried about getting sent back down to Gannett, he knows that he's got to get prepped and be better his next time out there in five days. I'm a big fan of that move. We do got to get out of here. So I got one more thing that I really want to touch on. Because this one is kind of going over pretty badly, as to be expected. The 40-mans on the roster is getting cut down, going away. No more 40-mans. How do you feel about that one? I think it's kind of in the name of keeping competition intact. Because if you're – let's say that it's September and the Braves are two games behind the Nationals. And the the Braves are playing the Brewers, who are still in, in the thick of the NL Central hunt. So everybody, they're playing their regulars late. And the Nationals are playing the Marlins, who, I mean, basically are going to be like a minor league team anyway. But then they've got like the super deep guys, and they're, they're just pitching against guys that have no business being on the roster. Well, that shifts the advantage in Washington's favor. You know, not just, you know, baseball doesn't have to be fair. But I would look at that and go, well, man, this, this sucks. But we're playing real major league players, and they're playing little league guys over here. So... Um, but as far as the like the actual practical impact, I think that it kind of eliminates. Uh, start you start looking at guys like a stunt move, like a Tim Tebow type, 
Like Tim Tebow's route to big leagues just got way shorter because you can thank see, the Lord because as good a person as Tim Tebow is, he has no business being in any baseball organization. Well, as somebody that uh, that pulls for the Braves, and also I don't pay much attention to college football at all, but when I do, I pull for uh, pull for the Bulldogs. So a guy who has plays for the Mets and the Florida Gators is pretty much just like get him away from me as far as you can. Um, so he doesn't, and he's taking jobs away from from different. That's my part of it. He's he's full on yeah. taking a roster spot away from three other players that absolutely deserve it a lot more than he does. Absolutely, and and so it. I think that it's. Um, I don't think it's going to wind up. I think that's one that's going to wind up being like, huh? Remember when we used to have forty guys up here? That was weird. And then we'll do, we'll all just move on. I don't I don't think that there's going to be a do tremendous you, impact on do it. Do you think but, it's going to uh, cause a problem with calling up some of your young guys? Like we've seen uh, the guys that get that don't want to get uh, you know the guys like Ozzy Albies getting a September call up and staying up for a while, uh, or, or you know the traditional like say Alex Jackson gets time in September or Christian Pache would be getting time in September. He might not actually. You think he might not get time this year because there's no forty man in September. If you're going to put him on there, he's going to be one of your twenty six, and somebody else has to go down. Yeah, and uh, hmm, that is that is an interesting thing. It kind of bones, for- bones the minor leaguer there. I wonder what that does for service time because there's there's certain stipulations about September service time. Like it doesn't count on the clock. I don't think so. I wonder if they wind up calling up a prospect like that. Well, it has to be more than a half of a season to count against your clock. That's why Ozzy still has the same amount of time as Ronald Cunha. That's bizarre. I did not know that. So, like that—that's the big thing with waiting till after Super Two and then waiting beyond the July something deadline. I believe Boggy can tell you the exact deadline. But uh, there, there's a certain time frame where, like, if you wait for over half of a season, then that doesn't count as a ma- he didn't accrue a major league season. He didn't qualify for a full major league season. So he still has six years of control left. Um, but I, I just wonder what it's going to do for, for some of these guys that they want to let get a taste of the bigs in September but aren't truly ready to you know be called up in the thick of a, of a chase in July. Like, let's say the Braves wanted to get Drew Waters some time in September. You think maybe if he's killing the ball, maybe he could get some time in September. Ain't no way he's getting called up in July. Oh no! I mean, he would have to be on a, on an Acuna level track for something like that to happen. And and I just don't don't quite see that this year. I don't either. It's it's an interesting conundrum. I kind of I want to see how the rest goes because there's still there's still some rules out there. I'm still waiting for the universal DH. I we both believe it's absolutely going to happen. Uh, I'm excited for it. Uh, as much as a lot of other people are deathly against it. I'm all for that. I don't want to see Mike fulton bat. I don't want to see Masahiro Tanaka tear both hamstrings trying to run. I don't need to see that. Uh, if a pitcher's good at running, then let him pinch run, whatever. Everybody talks about Julio being a good hitter. He's not. He, you're just you're just numb to the fact that pitchers are going to bat 150. To think that one that can bat 210 is, is good. It's not good. It's bad. But whatever. I digress. On a lighter note to end this show. We have two weeks, two weeks left until real baseball. Uh, we didn't talk about this, but I do want to end on this slightly happy note. Doc, how do you think that the first week is going to turn out for the Braves? First series, first series. Give me some some projections. Ooh, you know, everybody's everybody's going to be fully healthy. Everybody's going to be um, – or everybody that's going to be on the opening day rosters is going to be like the best-case scenario – for, for a lot of these teams and you know Braves Braves are playing Philly it'll be a great test to go kind of into the lines then everybody's 
uh, kind of looking at them as being like they're the ones that won the offseason. So whether the Braves go – if the Braves go 3-0, and then awesome. If the Braves go 0-3, well, then – um, there, there will be a lot of people uh, climbing clock towers and, and really, <laughs> really just kind of having meltdowns and stuff. I, I can, I can see it being, you know, coming back to Atlanta to play the Cubs and being one and two. And, see, and I'm going to go really the other way. Been, I'm going to be the, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the optimist. Two out of three, Julio surprises people, and Bryce Wilson wins the fifth starter job. Throws seven shutout innings against the Phillies. Hell yeah! See. That's that optimism. That's what I'm talking about. Sean Newcomb gets wrecked by Bryce Harper first pitch. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I am going to pick two out of three, uh, whoever the fifth starter is. I do have a hankering now that, like, I'm not going to count out Bryce Wilson. Uh, we'll, we'll get more into that as, as, you know, as the shows go on. We'll see who wins that battle. Uh, but as it is, enjoy the last couple weeks of spring training. Get your excitement up. We know it's, a, it's a finally about time. Baseball's finally back. <sighs> it's been a long Long off season, but now we can finally get back to seeing if it was all worth it. Thank you guys so much. We'll catch you next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Try to be fast, cause Get thanks, bye.